Marine Bible Church. Coming to you this morning from my living room. I'm sitting today in a chair that's a favorite place of mine to sit and read. Uh, we thought this would be fun. I'm excited to, to meet with you today in a pretty different way than we normally do. Uh, before I go any farther, some of you might be wondering, Pastor Paul, didn't you see that the Governor Inslee said that it was okay for church personnel to do live streaming from the church. I did see that, we all saw that, uh, but we decided to do this this way anyway for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're still honestly not 100% sure why last week's live stream wasn't working correctly, and because we're not sure why it wasn't working, we of course aren't sure yet how to make sure that it does work. Um, secondly, Frankly, uh, we, our family, are doing everything we can just to stay home and to not go out unless we absolutely have to. I hope you're doing the same thing uh, and staying safe and healthy. Thirdly, honestly, I just thought this would be sort of fun. I'm looking forward to us interacting in a new and different way, and so I hope that you enjoy this too. Um, I was uh, thinking earlier about uh, this idea of tension. I have a, a guitar here. I don't know how to play this. Uh, we have this guitar in our house at various times. Both Deborah and myself have thought we really want to learn how to play guitar, but you know, life happens and, and we end up not doing it. But but you probably know that a guitar, any string instrument, uses these strings and they're they're under tension. There's this this tension here, and it's, there's quite a bit as you put your finger on here. You can feel there's quite a bit of tension. But that's how this string works. That's how it sounds a note. Now I'm going to do something here. I'm going to take this tension and start to remove it. And if I take all of it away completely, so that the string is just kind of slack, that's useless now. That's not good for anything. If I did this to all of the strings, the whole instrument would be useless. It really requires this tension on the string between the two ends in order to work properly. I want you to think about that idea of tension as you grab your Bible or open your Bible app and turn to the book of Matthew this morning. We're going to be in uh, the later stages of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26 today. And I'm going to start this morning in verse 36. And so we looked at last week as we've been discussing Jesus, and we're in just the final hours now, really, of his earthly life. As he is uh, roughly 33 years old, uh, he's now in Jerusalem, and it's really come down to it when he is about to be arrested. Uh, we looked at this instance where he has the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, he, among other things, uh, takes some time to really tenderly wash their feet and give them a lesson that way. Uh, then he instructs them and gives them a, a number of uh, final instructions and, frankly, encouragements and reminds them that he's going to be with them. And now they get to uh, this place where they have left that upper room. We, we said last week that they're probably wandering through the streets even as they, they have part of this conversation. And now in uh, Matthew 26, 36, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. This is a, a place, it's a garden. They would have gone uh, from Jerusalem down out of an eastern gate, down through the valley called the Valley of Kidron, uh, back up the other side. And Gethsemane was up on this hill up on the other side looking across this valley. If they were to look to the west, 
they'd be looking across this valley into Jerusalem. And it was probably partway, not, not probably, it was partway between Jerusalem and Bethany, which is a small village where Jesus, by and large, stayed while he was in this phase of his ministry. And so they go up to this garden. It's a a quiet place. It seems to be late at night even, uh, so it's probably dark and it's peaceful. They've been there before. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And verse 37 says, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, uh, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I really want you to hear this. He's, he's sorrowful. He's troubled. Why is he troubled? Because he knows what's about to happen. He knows what's coming here. And in fact, in verse 38, he said to those, those three disciples that were with him, Peter and James and John, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. My soul is so sorrowful, even to the point of death. I mean, you get this sense of how much stress, how much anguish Jesus was under. And I think it's going to help us inform what happens next and, and this conversation that he has with his heavenly father. He says, I'm, I'm just so sorrowful here. My soul, I'm just this crushing, oppressive sense that he had. Um, Luke uh, and we're, we don't need to turn there, but in Luke's account, this is where Luke tells us that Jesus even got to the point where he was under so much stress and he was in so much agony that, that there was blood coming out in his sweat. And physicians have pointed out that only happens in cases of really, really extreme duress. And so this is the state that Jesus is in. And he says, I want you to come to this garden with me. Things are getting close. I'm going to go pray. And he says, I want you to remain here and just watch with me. Verse 39 says, going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So you see what he just said? This is Really natural. I hope we understand why he's he's expressing this. And and for anyone who doubts that Jesus was along with being fully God, that he's also fully man, this is the sort of stress that he's under. This is not an easy thing for him to do. He wasn't pretending to be under stress. He wasn't pretending that this was going to be painful for him. That it was going to be a terrible experience to go through. This was real. And Jesus falls on his face. Just think about this. God himself falls on his face. And this is a real mystery anytime we talk about the Trinity. I, I understand that. This is hard for us to wrap our minds around. But God himself, under all of this agony and anguish, falls on his face and he prays to the Father in heaven. And he says, if it's possible, can you take this cup, this thing that's about to happen. Can you take that away from me? But not my will, but your own. And then verse 40 says, he, he came back to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And, and so he said to Peter, could you not watch with me for one hour? 
Evidently, he's been at this for an hour now, or he's anticipating to be at it for an hour. Either way, he comes back and he finds Peter and James and John sleeping. And he says, you couldn't watch with me? So he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So verse 42 says, again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. There's, there's in this instance, it says again, he prayed. So even though the, the wording is slightly different, uh, he's essentially praying the same thing. He's saying, I really wish you could take this cup from me, but if it can't, if there's no other way to do this, other than for me to drink this cup, I want your will to be done. Verse 43 says, again, Jesus came and he, he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. <laughs> you know what this is like. I, I don't want to give these guys too hard a time. It's late at night. They've maybe had a long day. Maybe they're under a certain amount of stress too. And they're just, you know how it is when you're just so fatigued and it's just so hard even to keep your eyes open. And, and this is where they are. Their eyes were heavy, you know, and they'd fallen asleep again. And so verse 44 says, this time Jesus seems to, to leave them alone. And, and he says, uh, leaving them again, he went away. And he prayed for the third time now, saying the same words again. So some variation on that theme. He said again, this cup, I don't want to have to drink this cup. God, if you could take this cup away from me, if there's any other way, if you, could, if you could just relieve me of this, but not my will, but yours be done. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Remember earlier, maybe we looked at this account of, of Jesus uh, even pointing out to Judas Iscariot himself that he knew that he was the one that was going to betray him. And, and what the others don't know that Jesus does know is as they're having this conversation now, Judas is leading this, this collection of guards to arrest Jesus into the garden like right then he's given him up and Jesus says okay the hour has come but before that happens he he takes some time to have this this time of prayer and again this is really fascinating to me it, it's like God is talking to God uh, but you know, they are individual persons, but there's only one God. This is really a mystery to us, and, and we understand that. But I think what's really important to note is he takes this time. He knows what's coming. He knows he's anxious about it. And so he carves out some time within this narrative to be by himself. And, and he has his disciples with him, and it's important to him that they're there, that they're close, and he's asked them to sort of keep watch with him. And yet 
he removes himself and he goes and, and has this very quiet, very private time with God the Father. And he expresses something really honest. And he doesn't just do that one time. He does that three times. Three times he goes back and he prays again. God, please, Father, if you can take this cup from me, I beg you. If there's any other way to do this other than me drinking from this cup, I wish this didn't have to happen. However, I don't want my will to be done in this, but your will. It's a wonderful, beautiful instruction on prayer, on what prayer is to look like for the believer. If even Jesus himself, who is God, can take this time and pray, I think we can learn some things from the character of this prayer, from the way that he does it. And I think as I read this, I see that there is just this, this tension between two elements. Just like a, a stringed instrument that has a musical string that is pulled tight, it works best when there's this understanding, there's this tension between the two ends of that string, so that when it's plucked, a musical note sounds. And frankly, there's this tension between two things here in Jesus' prayer. On the one hand, he's expressing pretty clearly, I don't want to do this. I'm in agony over this. My soul feels like I'm at the point of death. This is not something that I'm looking forward to. But on the other hand, God, I want your will to be done. I have this understanding that your will is perfect, it's good, it's generous, it's loving, it is, there is nothing about your will that is wrong and that is incorrect. Nonetheless, I don't want to do this thing, but I understand that your will needs to be done. But I'm really hurting and I'm... I'm uncomfortable and in agony and, and frankly frightened to do this thing. But I understand your will needs to be done. Do you sense this tension here between these two things? I find that really interesting and I find it really instructive for you and I in our prayers. Jesus told a parable earlier, uh, and we've looked at that together. It's been a long time now, but we've looked at it together. And he uses this parable of a, a neighbor that, that, that uh, goes to uh, their neighbor's house. They, they've received a guest from out of town, and they weren't anticipating this guest to be there. And they find themselves in a really embarrassing situation, especially for their culture, where they don't have any hospitality to offer them. They don't have any food to offer them. And so they go to the neighbor's house, and they say, uh, please, you know, can you lend me some, some food? And the neighbor says, please go away. I've gone to bed. We're all sleeping in here. Go away. And Jesus says, do you think that person will just give up after the one knock? They won't. They'll keep pounding and saying, please, will you please? They'll keep pounding until the, this neighbor relents and says, okay, fine. I'll give you a loaf of bread. And he's not trying to point out there that God is annoyed by us when we pray. But what he says is, this is how you ought to pray. You ought to persist in prayer. 
You got to keep on doing it over and over and over. And I love here in this case now, when he's under the most intense stress that he's been under thus far, that Jesus models this so beautifully and in and, and such a, a wonderful reality that when it comes right down to it, he does this thing. He absolutely practices what he has prior, uh, what he's preached in, in a prior setting. He says, God, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask that this be removed. That's how much agony I'm under. Let me just ask you, you understand, I think, but, but Jesus understood why he was here, right? He knew what he was doing. In this moment, Jesus has this intense love for people. He knows what the mission is. Even so, though. And that's why he's saying, if there's any other way to accomplish this thing, I would love for this, this cup to be taken away from me. And then he comes back and he prays it again. And then he comes back and he prays it again. And yet, with each of those instances, he says, but God, I understand. And I have this desire that your will needs to be done in this. I think that's so great for us today. This is how we ought to pray. We ought to be persistent in prayer. We ought to be honest with our prayers. And we ought to come and offer them up repeatedly and often, even when we don't hear an answer, or even when that answer seems to be no. And yet, we also have to hold that in this sense of tension with this idea that at the end of the day, I really want God's will to be done. I understand God's will is greater than my will. It's better than my will. He knows an infinite number of things that I don't know. He is capable to do a lot of things that I am not. And so I really want to understand that God's will is the ideal. And yet, I've been called to come to God and to do it frequently and repeatedly and persistently and ask God honestly for the things that I want. We're living in that tension right now. I tell you, I said this is sort of fun to be talking to you from a different space today, something a little bit different. But in a larger sense, I really want this business with with the the virus and this COVID-19 disease to be done. Don't you? I mean, I'm, I'm already tired of this. And we're seeing now effects, greater and greater effects that this is having on our economy, on our, our nation, on all sorts of things. It's sort of trickling out now like ripples on a, on a lake when this stone has been thrown into it. It's having all sorts of effects. And a lot of these effects aren't good. And so we pray that this would be finished. And yet we also understand that that might not be God's will right now. Let me ask you another question. Do you suppose, this is one of those softball questions, but do you suppose that if God wanted to, he could make this disease, this virus, disappear immediately? You know he could do that, right? He could figuratively snap his fingers and it would just be done. And 
frankly, that's not a bad thing to pray for. If I believe my God is that big and that powerful, that's a noble thing to pray for. And yet I hold that in this tension with the understanding that God's will might not have that in store. That might not be part of what's going on right now. And yet, I don't want to be discouraged by that and just stop praying. Do you see? Do you see this tension that is at play? And we have that with so many things. And what I'm afraid of is if we lose the tension between those, those two things, between the two ends of that string, as it were, the music doesn't play right. If I don't have a strong sense of God's will, of its goodness, of its power, of its perfection, then when I come to God and I ask for things and I'm told no, or I feel like I've heard silence, it might drive me to be kind of bitter and angry and just say, well, I'm not going to bother praying. Forget it. And now I'm just mad at you because you didn't give me what I wanted. If, on the other hand, we have such a strong sense of God's will that we sort of take this, this fatalistic approach and we say, you know, it doesn't really matter what we ask God for because he's going to do what he wants to do and, and we'll just let him do it. And so I don't really need to go bother praying to God for anything because why does it matter? And you see, when either one of those things happens, when we don't maintain a tension between those two things, both results are that our prayer life really suffers. We sort of stop talking to God, either because we're angry at him because he didn't give us what we wanted, or because we think, nah, it just doesn't really matter. He's going to do whatever he wants anyway. But in either case, we sort of spin down our prayer life. And let me tell you, that is not what the Bible has instructed us to do. I'm sure I don't need to tell most of you that there is verse after verse after verse, passage after passage after passage, that says over and over and over, pray, pray, pray. Your God wants you to talk to him, and he wants you to ask him for what it is that you want. Honestly, openly, boldly even, and with repetition and with persistence. But at the same time, God wants you to understand that his will is better than your will. Sometimes he is going to tell you no. Sometimes he's going to tell you, wait, or maybe just, I'm not going to give you an answer today. But he never says, stop asking me. He might say no, but he never gets annoyed when you come back the next day and say, God, here I am again. I'm going to pray this thing again. I think that's how prayer works best. That's how that string is sounded its best when, when it's musical and it just sings, is when we have that tension and we do that really well. I want to invite you to continue to pray with me, pray for our church, pray for our nation, pray for our, our community right here in Spokane, pray for our whole world, pray for what it is that's in your life, 
I'm sure there are plenty of things that I'm not even aware of. You've got your own issues too. Keep on praying. Do, do it just like Jesus did. Keep going back. Even if you think you've been given the answer, there's nothing wrong with going back again and saying, God, I'm here again. I'm asking you again. Please give me this answer. But to hold that intention with this idea that I really understand, God, your will, your perfect will is what's best for me, even if I don't get that all the time. And I want to be comfortable with that. I want to be all right with that. There should be this tension in our prayer life. Let's pray together right now. Our Father God, I thank you for your precious word. God, we thank you for Jesus and for the example that Jesus is, and, and sometimes in some really specific ways. I love this, this instance of Jesus coming and praying, pouring out his heart in prayer and doing that again and again, and yet doing that, holding that intention with this very clear understanding that your will, your good and perfect will, is what's right. God, help us to live with that same tension. Help us in our prayer life to be bold, to be persistent, to understand that we should bring everything to you in prayer because you're powerful, because you're good, you love us, you desire what's best for us, and just as a father wants what's best for their kids, you want what's best for us, and you want us to come to you. But to also understand that there are a lot of things we don't know, that there are a lot of uh, paths that we can't possibly trace out that you have, and to understand that your will is good and perfect and best. Help us to have that tension, to live there as Jesus did, to pray appropriately, to pray unceasingly with this understanding. God, we do pray for our world right now, we all have so many individual things going on, but we pray for this big thing that we are all kind of sharing together right now. We pray for a speedy resolution, whether that be uh, from a cure that doctors find, whether that be because this social distancing helps this thing to wind down, or whether it be that you miraculously uh, step in and intervene, God, we pray for an end to this, for a conclusion to this. We pray for protection for people in our congregation, people in our larger community who are impacted even right now because their work is stopping uh, for all of these ways that we are being affected. We pray for our health. We pray you continue to guard and protect us and help us to find ways to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to be a good testimony throughout this situation. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, again, I hope this was uh, fun for you. God bless you. Grace and peace be with you today.